Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Absolutely everybody was talking about it. There was this weird like murmur that was just kind of going through the streets and it was like a buzz that kept getting louder and louder and, and people were just turning frantic. They were grabbing all their, their belongings and they're digging holes and they're trying to hide everything that they own in the dirt and people start, were like screaming in the streets. It was absolute chaos, complete and utter chaos. Everybody knew that when they came, it was going to be a slaughter. They knew. They've heard about it. And so they were scared. And so you couldn't trust anybody. You couldn't trust your neighbor. You couldn't trust your friends. Everybody was looking out for themselves all of the time. And so she pushed her way through the crowds. She, she was getting bumped left and right, but night was coming, and she had to get to work. I mean, I know that there's chaos happening, but we still have to work. Because like, maybe, maybe what she was hearing wasn't true, but then again, maybe, maybe what people were saying was true. She had heard story after story of all these invasions that were happening, that there was this mass group of people. They're coming into all of these cities, and they're destroying everything. And they talk about this God named Yahweh. And when they come through these invasions, they're wiping everybody out. And she started to hear these stories of this group of people with this God, this God of theirs. She heard that they, he like made this huge sea split, and she heard the stories were passed that these people walked across this land completely dry, completely safe. But then at the same time, this water crashed in and destroyed their enemies. Who is this God that does this? She had heard about what they did to their enemies. It seemed like they were on this mission, but they would win even against insurmountable odds. Why were they winning? They kept talking about this God named Yahweh. She had heard about this God, and she couldn't stop thinking, who is this? There's chaos all around, but there's some sort of something inside of her that was ticking. Like, maybe this God, maybe he's the real God. Because there's, there's gods everywhere in her town. There's gods everywhere. They worship all types of gods. She sees them in golden statues. She sees them as animals and figures and people. And all these people now are screaming, and they're praying to these gods. But why aren't they winning? Why is this God of Yahweh, this God, this God of Israel, why are they winning all the time? So she thought it was a day like any other day in terms of work, but at the same time, she knew she was a nobody. She's a prostitute. I mean, she's a nothing. She's mocked, and I mean, people know that she's a scourge of the earth, and Sometimes she's called upon for religious ceremonies and sometimes just called upon. And so, like any other day, she thought even with all this going on, she had to go to work. 
But something was inside of her heart. Something was ticking. She couldn't stop thinking about this God. What if this God was different from every other God? And that's where we're going to begin our message today. If you have your Bibles or Bible apps or phones, open up to Joshua chapter 2. I'm going to be reading through the scriptures here. It's a long passage, so I'll be reading it. It won't be on the screens today, but if you can't uh, get to those Bibles, please uh, listen along. If you don't have a Bible, please take the Bibles that are underneath the seats. Those are yours to have. Joshua chapter 2, which is on page 152. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shethim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, When it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fjords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said this to them. I know the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting with fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea, for when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, we heard of it. Our hearts melted, and everybody's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she, had to, she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet road in the road cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all of your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we are released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. She tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of, the, out of the hills, fjorded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told them everything that had happened to them. 
They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. That is amazing. That an entire country, an entire land land is completely gripped with fear of this God. But before we enter into this story, we need to go backwards and cover some things that were going on. In Exodus, God chooses Moses to be the leader. He takes the leader of the Israelites and he frees them from being slaves in Egypt. After their escape, we hear about him splitting the Red Sea. And then now the Israelites are following them as this pillar of smoke during the day and this pillar of fire at night. And they're following him through the lands. And as they're going, they're conquering, conquering, conquering. And so now they come to the place in which God has promised them, right on the edge, but they didn't believe. They sent spies and they came back. They said, there's no way we're going to take this land. But there were two spies who did say, their names were Joshua and Caleb, young men at that time. So instead of them going into the land, because they did not believe that God could do it, all these miracles had happened, God now sends them out for 40 years to wander in the desert. 40 years of meandering with no direction except following this pillar, these pillars, and things are not great. Like all of us, we lose sight of things. But God makes this oath to these people. They say, you know what? You're a wicked generation, so none of you are going to go into this promised land that I promised your people. It will be the next generation. And so for 40 years, this generation dies off, one by one by one, into the last one. But Joshua and Caleb, they were not part of that. They got to go because of their faithfulness in God. And so Moses dies, and Moses now hands the reins over to Joshua. Joshua is one of the greatest military general, superpower, superhero, awesome dudes ever in scriptures. This guy, just by his name, people are just quaking in fear. And so they take him to the banks of the Jordan River, back to the promised land. They're back to when a whole bunch of mess started 40 years earlier. And so he sends two spies in to the land to spy for it. And we have two heroes this time. Our heroes are these two spies who go in. Just like Caleb and Joshua, now we have these two go in. But there's something here. They're not the heroes of the story. A prostitute is. We don't even know their names. They're not even named. And interesting enough, the hero of our story, first of all, is female. For the Old Testament readers, this would be absurd. Like, why would this woman be placed in such a high regard? Who is this that a prostitute Canaanite? And Canaanites were a major enemy of Israel. Why would she be given the hero of the story? Doesn't make any sense to a reader of that day. Because if we keep reading on, there's a huge contrast here that happens. Joshua, this mega power, superpower, awesome army of Israel, gets sent into the land. They're coming to the place. He sends these guys in. And our story begins with this. The spies enter the land, and they go to a prostitute's house. Why? Why would they do that? Now, there's a lot of thought and a lot of background and a lot of questions, and they they don't go out right why they were there. But what they did say was this. They went there. Now, we also know in the scriptures that we find out that these men got caught. 
They aren't very good spies because the king of Jericho heard that these guys were here and that they were at her house. So were they kind of spying around a little bit, then they went to her house? Did they go to her house? Because that would be a place of information. She would hear people talking. People would tell her things. There was trust that was involved. So they thought, ah, maybe we should go talk to her. Maybe she has a lot going on. But listen to this again, the first sentence of the story, Joshua 2, chapter 1, or chapter 2, verse 1, excuse me. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shethim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. It doesn't say they went spying. It didn't say that they went on mission. They didn't say they even obeyed Joshua. So we can read between the lines. We can guess. We don't know exactly what happened. But something here isn't right. And this is actually quite interesting. Because why specifically would the word, this, this town, this Shethim come in? There's a reason why Ava Baker gives an interesting perspective in her piece, Rahab, what we talk about when we talk about Rahab. She asks the question, what's the significance of the author noting that place? Previously, previously, in this story of Israel, what was going on before, while Moses was still leading, they had just defeated two huge armies. Moses is in charge. And God brings this group of people to this town, and he is on the move, and they are doing really, really well. And this is Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 3. While Israel was still staying in Shethim, the men brought, began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices of their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to Baal and Peor, and the the anger of the Lord burned against them. Their fragrant, their, I mean, purposeful, flagrant act of rebellion, their purposeful sin just wiped out God's honor. And here we have this group of people who is, look, I've never followed a pillow of fire or smoke in my life. But if a pillar of fire or smoke is like, show me where to go, I'm going to start to believe something's going on here. So this pillar of fire, this pillar of smoke, God is with them. They're winning when they're not supposed to. They go here, they get to this town, and they're like, sweet, let's just throw away everything that God has done and do whatever I want. And the first thing they talk about is how they begin and engage in sexual immorality with the Moabite women. This is a dark stain on the people of Israel. And if you're a reader of this scripture, you're going to remember this Old Testament story that as soon as this town is listed, you're like, ooh, not good. So now Joshua is sitting there with this group of people. These two spies are sent from Shethim into Jericho, and they go to the house of a prostitute. You know what? I don't really think that these guys are the hero of this story. Like, once again, you get this feeling like it's all starting all over again. Here we go again. We're going to mess it all up again. The story of Israel, God forgives them, they mess up. God forgives them, they mess up. God forgives them, they mess up. And here, once again, it's saying, reader, beware. These two men are being sent in to this place from Shethim into Jericho. But we move on because these unbelievable spies get caught. Now, 
I've never spied in my life, but I do like spy movies. And this is something I know about the spies that are good. They don't get caught, right? Like, the idea is to get reconnaissance, get in and get out. Nobody knows you're there. You blend in with the background. Nobody really sees that you're there. But these guys in the first sentence are immediately caught, and we find out that the king of Jericho is ready to kill them. But then this prostitute does something crazy. She starts to flip the script. Why? Like, why, why would you hide these guys? Because Rahab, in this one moment, is guilty of treason by hiding an enemy spy and sending her own army on the wrong path. Like, what would make anybody do that? Could you imagine the amount of treason in the year 2020 if anybody did that for your country, what would happen to you? The treason was so high and payable by death for sure. Something had to have been going on inside of Rahab's heart to even consider such a crazy thing. Why would she do this? She says, it says this in Joshua 2, 8 and 11. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. You have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. And for when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. Something is different about Rahab. Something is spinning a little different inside of her heart. Something in her is saying, I, who is this God that is doing all of this stuff? Who is this God that trumps all of our gods and trumps everything that is wiping everybody out? Now, it could it be absolute desperation and fear? It's possible, right? Desperation, like, I'm going to hitch myself to the winning team here real quick. Like, you know, it's kind of like, like if you're a Bears fan and you become a Packers fan because you want to win once in a while. Like, it's a lot like that, right? I'm just going to hitch myself into the story. I'm going to get onto the winning team. But she says something. She knows that God is the God of not only of this heaven, but he controls the earth. The gods of that time were gods that were small, and they came in lots of different factors and forms. They would do small things. they control pieces of elements, sun, water, fire, earth, some emotions and love and thoughts and all these different things, all these little gods. And so they have all these gods to try to cover all their bases. And here's there's this God who not only does things miraculously heavenly, he can make water split, and he alone can make this little army win when they're not supposed to, like... Maybe he is the God. He is the one. And now a prostitute in a pagan city. This little town of Jericho does an unthinkable thing. She confesses a belief in Yahweh. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Her confession of God leads you to ask for a lot of things. Okay, look, you got the real thing. So hear me, spies. Save me. Save my family. She's bold. Save all of us. She's a nothing. Who gets to ask for this? Save my family, my brothers, my sisters. Would you just save us all, please? 
I've been kind to you. I'm going, I could die for this. Would you be willing to save us? There's no reason why they should. Who is she? She's a nothing. She's done so many bad things in her life. Why would she be forgiven? I mean, her past. Think about her terrible past. The things she's done, the places she's gone, the things she's said. Why should she ever be considered by Yahweh? Why is she even a conversation piece right now? But then again to say, hey, save me and save everybody. It's bold. But there's something about that confession in Yahweh that does something amazing. They said, okay, let it be as you say. All you have to do is keep that rope out, and in that rope, that cord, keep it outside, and we'll let it be. I wonder what the conversation was when they went back to Joshua. Hey, Joshua, yeah, we checked it out. Everyone's afraid of us. We got this, man. Knuckles, we got this, bro. Like, maybe, like, you guys ready to go? We're going to go on. Oh, hey, by the way, we made a deal with a prostitute and her family. We can't kill her. We got to let, let them all live because they hit us. wonder how that conversation went. We don't know. We fill in the blanks. But we do see what happens in Joshua chapter 6, when they do come through, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring out all who belong to her in accordance with the oath to her. Everything was wiped out. There was nothing left. They left this one place. They destroyed everything when they came through. This was a powerful army of God. And Joshua said, let it be so. They saved it. Nobody lay a hand on that area. No one touched that family that's inside. Could you imagine what Rahab and her family were hearing? What they were smelling, burning, people's screams, friends, neighbors, everything that that she had heard about was happening. The little ones that were in the room, as she covered their ears, as this huge army is coming through and wiping out. And they would hear, there'd be some fear from time to time, like, is it going to happen to us? But it doesn't. They're saved. And so Joshua says, go bring them out. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out the entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. So they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she had hid the men Joshua had sent a spy to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now, contextually, we understand that doesn't mean 2020. As the writing of this book, the author writes down, this is something unique this Rahab was brought into the family of Israel. She was on the outskirts. Anyone who had adapted, adopted into the family of Israel, they weren't allowed to be in the inner circle. They got to be with Israel. And so they were on the outskirts of it, but they were in. And they were adopted into the family. This prostitute, this nobody, this nothing, just saved God's army. And God chose chose her to do it. So maybe she's not a nobody. Maybe she's not a nothing because our God is the God of second chances. 
Our God is the God of second chances. This woman is an outcast. She's broken every rule. She didn't follow any of the Mosaic law. She didn't do anything right. She, her living and her lifestyle was so far outside of what God wanted. But yet this grace, mercy, and love fell upon her by simply saying, he is God. Our God is a God of second chances. Something unique about this story of Rahab, if you read the scriptures in the Old Testament, sometimes it's hard to read. And it looks like Joshua is doing this like ethnic cleansing, just wiping everybody out. And the story of Rahab sits right in the middle of this. Because if it was an ethnic cleansing, Rahab would not have been saved. This was about God and his glory and about his people. And it is encouraging for us today that no matter where you are, what you've done, or where you've been, our God is a God of second chances. That God gives Rahab the opportunity. Her family, everyone was brought in because of her confession of faith. Those who are outside are brought inside. That is our God. I wonder what she thought about when she started to learn about Yahweh and his love and his compassion, this God that was compassionate to her. I wonder what it felt like for her for the first time to be loved, truthfully loved by a God. I wonder what it felt like for the first time to go from the outside to be inside. I wonder what it felt like when they were adopted into her family. This is crazy belief that people think, and, and I'm, I'm going to guess this is some of you. You've done too much. You've been too far. You've messed up too many times. There's no way God's going to use you. I'm outside the story. Our God is a God of second chances. It's not true. Our God loves the outsider. And when I read the Bible, our God loves the underdog. Our God loves the broken. Our God loves the hurting. Our God loves everyone who says, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I've done too much. I should be thrown away. He says, absolutely not. You are precious. Because here he takes Rahab and he turns the story of Israel and it hinges. If you're reading the story, it feels like everything's hinging here. Now, would they have come in? Would they have won? We don't know doesn't matter what we can think. We know something. The story of God is hinging on a prostitute from an enemy of God. And he says, that which seems useless or worthless, I make beautiful and I adopt into my family. There's nothing you can ever say, nothing you can ever do that makes you outside the family of God. Nothing. But you have to confess in Yahweh. It's all it took. It's all it took. It was her life on the line. And she's like, your God is the God of everything. I want to be a part of that. That's our God. Our God is the God of second chances. Our God uses broken people. If you're sitting here today and you feel broken, that there's no way in the world that you can make it, you're shattered. You're an actual literal mosaic. And you feel there's no way God uses broken people. God transforms broken people. From that which is broken, he makes whole, 
and gives purpose and adapts, into a, adapts them into a new way of living and adopts them into a new family. If you feel broken, if you are broken, please don't stay there because our God is a God of second chances. He transforms everything. So the beauty of this whole story is I wonder if Rahab kept prostituting. I'm going to guesstimate not. I'm going to guesstimate not. We don't know. It doesn't say. But what we do know is that her purpose shifted and that if you are broken and you feel you have no purpose, I'm here to tell you God has a purpose for you. But it makes you transforming your life. Our story here of Mosaic and what we're doing as a church family is about us recognizing this God who's God of heaven and earth and then transforming our life into the life that he has for us. There's a better life. And if you feel that he doesn't have one for you, I'm going to just put this on the table. I don't think you really know him then. Because our God is a God of second chances. Our God adopts broken people. If you have a broken family, if you feel isolated, if you feel alone, the family of God is an adoption into something from outside to inside. Think about the beauty of that. So many of us, when we, when we sin and we mess up and our stories and our past, get this idea. If I walk into the church, the literal walls will fall down. It's not going to, not yet at least. And if you know the story of Jericho, maybe if they circle it a bunch of times and blow horns, that's the story of Jericho. If you haven't read it, read that. But the walls aren't going to fall down because our God is a God of second chances. Our God loves the come behind. Our God loves those who are broken. And he makes that which is broken new again. So let me share with you how the story of Rahab ends. She's adopted into the Jewish people. She's non-Jewish. She's a prostitute. She's a former enemy. And did you know that she's related to King David and to Jesus himself? That in Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. She's like the great, great, great grandma of King David, one of the greatest kings one of the greatest military minds, one of the greatest people of all human history, here purposefully in the genealogy sits this woman. Do you feel that you can't be used by God for something great? Because you can. And not only that, we see that our God is this God of second chances. Our God does something that no one else does he takes that which everything is cast away and says, I want that, and makes it new. So I imagine Rahab sitting in that room that day. The sounds, the smells, the dust. There's dust everywhere, right? There's a, there's a war going on, the screams. She hears neighbors. She hears friends. She's sitting there. She's shaking in a corner. Is this God going to save me? Will they keep their oath? She hears a knock on the door. It startles her, so she steps back and she looks at the door and she looks at her family and she walks over to it. She slowly opens the door and sees the face, faces of the two spies. 
bursts into tears. She embraces them weeping, and all of her family start coming out weeping. They were saved. They were saved. And so they walk into the city streets, and I can't imagine what that looked like. Pure destruction everywhere. And they walk through the crowds, and the two spies led her, take her family into the camp of Israel and say, welcome. Because her God is the God of second chances. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.